Sweet. Well, good morning again. Happy shortest day of the year. I wasn't excited when I found out that was the day I was teaching, because then it meant that I had less hours to, to dread getting up here. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> uh, but seriously, that was kind of what happened this morning. Um, I'm going to steal your chair, Jonathan, if that's okay. Uh, okay, so we've been in a series on transformation. Oh, by the way, my name is Zach, and I'm one of the girl dads around here. <laughs> Shout out to David and some other guys who aren't here right now. Um, I mean, if you have one girl, that counts. But, like, you got three, so that's pretty sweet. Sorry, Jemiah. I'm not there yet, though. Uh, okay, so... Um, I'm really excited to hear with you guys from Jesus this morning. We're, we're diving into prayer, um, talking about prayer, and from an interesting story about um, the Canaan, a Canaanite woman in Matthew 15. But before we go there, I just want to make sure that we are all aware of where we've been and where we want to go and what we've been dwelling on, because, you know, I believe that as a church, we're, we're working through things together, um, and that the things that we talk about here and the things that we're thinking about matter. So... We've been in a series, in a series called Transformation, and Joey kicked us off with kind of just, you know, what, what does it mean to have a, a life that's transformed by the gospel? Um, a life transformed by the gospel is equipped, is equipped for good works, and that was all from 2 Timothy 3, and we talked about how our lives are transformed by the gospel as we learn from examples, endure resistance, hail, inhale God's breath, and trust God's transformer. Um, so the beautiful thing is we've had, you know, months to practice this, so we're so good at it now. Um, just kidding, right? We've had as long as we've been following Christ, right? And we get to do that forever. Um, that transformation is not a one-day thing. It's, it's, an, it's a daily thing. So we've also looked at some of the fruit of transformation in work. Thanks, Benjamin. Um, we've looked at that fruit in communication as well, and how we're engaging our neighbors with the good news of Jesus from Ryan and Emma. Um, and I've been excited to, I, I mean, I've seen, you know, the conversations that we've been having here and in township really play out in my regular life, um, especially with my high school kids. It's like every, every chance God has to remind me that, hey, your communication matters. Uh, they, they, they care about how you listen. They care about how you, how you approach them. And uh, engaging with the good news is, is, a, is a battle to rem- remember what's true and to, and to let that come out of our come out of our souls uh, with every, every step we take. So today, we, we're going to talk about prayer, which, just like the others, it's this, it's this area in our lives that is, it's not just at 7 a.m., <laughs> it's this uh, really overwhelming and all-the-time topic, like work and communication. We're always doing it. We're wired for it. Um, we're, we're built for it. And <clears throat> one of the interesting things about prayer is that it's not just followers of Jesus that pray. Um, Roxanne Stone, who's, you know, you don't, she doesn't, she doesn't really, she's, Barna, she's Barna's editor-in-chief. Uh, she says that prayer is by far the most common spiritual practice among Americans. Um, and then in a 2014 Pew Research Center study of more than 35,000 adults, it reports that 55% of adults claim to pray every day. Um, so this is, you know, and we know that, like, God said that the, uh, the road is narrow that leads to life, that we, we know that many people are not they don't know what true prayer is, and yet we're praying. 
Um, there's something wired into us that says, like, I want to be connected to this, this bigger picture. I want to be connected to the spiritual, the spiritual realm uh, and, and seek help from that, from that arena. Although prayer in general is fraught with division, difficulty, and dismay. Within our modern society, we, don't, we, we claim a spiritual connection in times of solace and solitude. Maybe we'll go off to the mountains, uh, try to find some peace there, or we'll, uh, you know, we'll light uh, a candle, or we'll, you know, there's all sorts of spiritual practices that our, that our modern world has attached to. Uh, we'll, we invite others to, to be well, and we, we, we want to give our good thoughts and our good prayers uh, to people who are hurting. We see this all the time on social media, um, and even just in regular conversations, that we, we desperately desire for our words to impact not just ourselves, but the people around us. And we, we hope that, and we hope and we pray that those words would impact them. And now it's, it's sometimes harder than ever because of the fact that we can see the hurting and the brokenness that's happening all around the world, like in Ukraine currently. Um, we, we hope that we can have even the slightest impact on people's lives, even when they're in great times of peril. Uh, and so, <laughs> do we know that our thoughts and our prayers are impacting? Can we trust that, that we have a role in, in the spiritual realm? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I hope that we can, right? And some people will go through a meditation class that will try to help them teach them how to be more at peace, get rid of your anxiety, empty yourself, like forget about the troubles of the world. There's all sorts of these, these methods of prayer, even my Bible's in the way, guys. I need two stands up here. <laughs> Let's do that. There's one. Don't worry, it's just water. Uh, <clears throat> or like, I was, looking, I was looking at some Oprah conversations, and uh, she, she has asked a lot of people about prayer. I might end up standing. Um, one, one person that came onto her show, I don't remember this person's name, but she described her prayer life as saying, like, may I be safe, may I be at ease, may I be strong, may I be happy. And she said that she would repeat that to herself over and over. You know, may I be safe, may I be at ease, until, until she felt like she had really reached, reached that. And then once she felt like she reached that, then she was wishing the same on others. Um, so there's some cool things there, like that she wants, like we all have this deep desire for peace, and we think that the words and, the, and there's, there's something there that our world is trying to, trying to grab onto. Um, and Within the church, we, we, have our, we have our own issues. We have our own trouble, even though we've been practicing prayer for millennia, right? Um, it may be that the fact that Jesus says, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can tell this mountain to move. Well, I haven't moved a mountain, but I want to say I have faith. So how, how does that work? Um, he says nothing will be impossible for you. But yet, like, I've been trying to get lights to change when I want them, when I'm, I'm in traffic, and they're not changing when I want them to um, that's just one example. There's lots of those. I'd love for my wife to, to you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> I'd love for her to, you know, see me as a really knight in shining armor, but, like, I'm really just an ogre inside. Um, I can't really hide that too well, even, though, even if I pray for it. Um, the very thought of prayer can be depressing to folks who have felt forgotten or unheard in their prayers. And, and we, we've all had moments of this, this sadness. But, for example, a few years ago, leaders at an international megachurch, um, they suffered the loss of their two-year-old daughter. And they wrote this plea to the church worldwide. 
we're asking for prayer. We believe in a Jesus who died and conclusively defeated every grave, holding the keys to resurrection power. We need it for our little girl. This is not a real prayer. Is this not a healthy prayer? And what is the answer? You know, the girl was not resurrected, even though there is certainly biblical precedent for God raising people back to life. He, Jesus does it when he's on earth, and we know that God is for resurrection. He is for life. He's not for death. And so what does it mean to have these issues? <laughs> and like, should we even pray that? I mean, what does that do to your faith when you, when you invite a whole worldwide church network to pray for your two-year-old daughter and she's not risen from the dead? Like, how do you explain that to your church? How do you explain that to the watching world? It clearly was, a, it was big news because, you know, it was all over, um, not just Christian networks, but like Fox News and other sources. Fox News happened to be the one that I found the post about it. Um, so are, are we willing to take risks like that upon the rock of Jesus? Uh, and I know that there's, there's waiting things right now in our own congregation that we're praying for and that we're hoping for. And I hope that, you know, as we look into this, this passage, that we can find some hope um, for these things that, that are on our hearts. But there's still more we need to, like, unpack about prayer. And it's so big, like, we could, we could spend so much time talking about it, and I hope that we do. I hope that we never lose heart in discovering and understanding what prayer truly is and what God is inviting us into when, when, G- when Jesus is asked, Lord, teach us how to pray. We should ask that. Let's ask that together uh, every day. Let's ask what does it mean to be in communion with our Father? Um, and it's, it's, it's easy for us as a church to, you know, define prayer by the times that we pray, uh, the words that we use. Like, as long as you use good Christianese and you, you know, you say amen or you say in Jesus' name, then it's going to happen, right? Or, you know, at least I look good to those people. Uh, or at least I'm, you know, on a Sunday, as I'm leaving, I'm, I'm, leaving, I'm like saying, I'm like getting all slang and talk. I've been hanging out with high schoolers too much. So I'm sorry if my language is too, uh, <clears throat> anyway. So when I, when I come home and, I, and, I've, and I've told people like, hey, I'm going to pray for you, like, was that just a show? And am I really, truly caring about my brothers and my sisters and devoting myself to this work of prayer? Um, or honestly, I can just get plain old distracted. Another, another battle with prayer, right? 30 seconds into prayer, I'm on my phone because I was reminded that I needed to check this thing, but then that thing reminded me that I need to check this other thing. And I can't even remember the reason I got onto my phone originally, slash can't even remember why I was praying. Um, so I'll just scroll mindlessly until it's time to go to work, right? Um, <clears throat> even if I did know the answer to some of these problems, like does God hear us? Does, do our prayers matter? Why should I pray? Uh, would it even help? How do, I, how do I pursue depth of prayer without it being about my knowledge increasing instead of everlasting love growing and increasing in the kingdom? For like a marriage is worth investing in daily, even as we bring all of our baggage, um, prayer, prayer comes bundled with all these questions and doesn't make, it doesn't make the journey any less worth it. So because prayer is simply to be in communion with the Father, uh, we, we get to do that wherever we are. In the garden, we see this is, a, this is a pattern from the very beginning, right? From Genesis 2 and 3, we see man walking with God, with God in the cool of the day. God desires relationship. God even is, is, is a triune God. We see 
those connections, the relationships that are there, they're so important to him. Uh, and, we're, and we can feel it in our hearts, like I've mentioned. Um, so, you know, we don't currently live in the garden and we don't have that unique joy of getting to talk to God about the orangutan next door. But uh, what we do still have is very much the, the same privilege of the constant conversation through the Spirit by the work of Jesus with our Heavenly Father. Uh, so what we want to talk about is uh, that, you know, because Jesus is making all things right, we can cast ourselves upon him in faithful prayer. So trusting that Jesus is making all things right, that he does have a larger plan, even in the, even in the face of difficulty, even in the face of not knowing what's going on, um, that, that, there is, that there is good coming. You know, one thing that I was kind of struck by as I'm thinking about prayer this week is in everything that matters, or when you think about anything in the world that matters, the, uh, <clears throat> the inside of that topic, the inside of that discussion is much larger than the outside. So when we think about prayer, it's not about these externalities of the words or the emotions or the number of times that I pray, but it's the heart. And so hopefully we can, we can understand what it means to really cast ourselves upon him in faithful prayer through the example of this woman that we're going to read about. So I didn't make you sit down and stand up immediately. Uh, now we're going to stand up and we're going to read Matthew 15, 21 through 28 together. Uh, there's two slides. We're going to read it all together, uh, the whole thing. I'm not going to read by myself today. So we'll read this together. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Uh, this is God's word to us. Father, we thank you for your word and that it is profitable for training, for correction and righteousness, for transforming us from the inside out. And Lord, we invite you to do this in us today. Lord, our words, our work is nothing. Yours is eternal. Yours is the only thing that will last. So God, we, we again, I just can't say it enough, we help us. We invite you to do in us what only you can do Show us what it looks like to have faith. Show us what you mean when you say that you are well pleased with the faith of this Canaanite woman. Reveal to us our true depravity and reveal to us your true glory. Reveal to us your perseverance through all things on our behalf. And reveal to us our weakness to do that on anyone else's behalf. Show us your goodness. Show us your grace today in this word. Amen. Y'all can be seated. <laughs> All right. 
So just some context, uh, because this story kind of hits you out of nowhere. Um, oh, yeah, we've got a fancy map today. Uh, so before we go to the map, just want to kind of outline. This is in the gospel according to Matthew. And Matthew, uh, if you're familiar, was a tax collector called by Christ uh, to be his follower. And Matt, Matt says yes. Um, <clears throat> Matt is despised by the Jewish people, but loved by Jesus. And we see in Matt's gospel all sorts of examples of him showing those, who, those whom are accepted in the kingdom. Uh, that it's not, it's not the Pharisees, it's not the Sadducees, it's not even, you know, the, the proud and mighty disciple uh, Peter who misunderstands what it means for Jesus to be the Son of God. But that faith looks like something different. Faith, the, the story of faith is something different than what we ever expected. And he starts out by, by talking about this son of David, that this, the son of David is the one who um, is, is coming. And we're going to kind of dive into that more, off, more later. But um, for, for the ex- exact situation that we're in, we see that in Matthew 15, um, that the current field is like totally ripe for the harvest. Uh, Jesus has just healed thousands or not, yeah, not that, I don't know, maybe thousands, but he's healed a lot of people and he's fed a ton of people and the disciples are just riding on these, on these, on these coattails, just super excited, pumped that uh, things are happening. I'm so glad I decided to follow Jesus because look at this magic, man, like the son of, the son of David is here and he's here to stay and we're going to get some, we're going to get some power coming from heaven. Like, I don't know what they're expecting, but they're, they're, they're excited for some cool things to happen. Um, but he's also getting some heat in the wrong ways too, right? He's got the Pharisees on his back. Um, and who would it when, you call, when, he, when he calls them the hypocrites, right? I mean, hypocrites, I didn't realize this until this week, but that word was Jesus' word. Like he, he created that word to describe, cool. He described uh, <laughs> the Pharisees in, in, with that term hypocrites because you know, what's crazy to me also is like, Jesus probably went to a play. Like, he probably saw uh, performances in, in the Greek, Greco-Roman world, and he saw the actors put on masks and pretend to be um, something they weren't, and then he says, that's the Pharisees, man. The Pharisees, they pretend, to be this some, they, they pretend to be a whitewashed tomb, but on the inside, they're just full of dead bones, right? So he's calling them out. He's saying, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching us doctrines, human commands, uh, they, replace, they replace what God has created with their own expectations. And then, again, he, he, he talks to the crowd this time, and he says, this is all from Matthew 15, just getting, getting us to our story here. He says, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This is what defiles a person. So Jesus is just making really clear in this moment, what, is it, what, does, it mean to have, what does it mean to have righteousness? What does it mean to be a part of this kingdom? How do you, how do you enter and just previously, he had, he had uh, Matthew had crafted this story about the faith of two blind men. And the blind men said the same thing uh, that, um, that this Canaanite woman had said. Could you flip the slide back to the one before? Thanks. Just want to have that up there. Yeah. So, <clears throat> and Jesus replies in similar fashion to the blind men as he does to this Canaanite woman. Uh, but, yeah, so specifically, 
we, we have Jesus, the, the disciples, and the Canaanite woman. These are the people that we got in this story. Uh, and they're, they've escaped to... Now I gotta go back to the map. My bad. Now, uh, so they were hanging out by the lake, the Sea of Galilee, and then after, after they feed the, the 5,000, they go up all the way up to Tyre and Sidon, and it says in Mark, which is not from, not from what we're reading right now, but um, that Jesus entered a house and did not, want, did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. So the disciples and Jesus, they're coming up to, you know, hang out by the Mediterranean Sea. How does that sound? Sounds nice. Sounds like they need a relaxing, a relaxing moment. Um, and enters this, this Canaanite woman. Um, and this, this is interesting that Matthew would even use the term Canaanite because of the fact that uh, there is no... There is no Canaanite people group in this moment in history. We have, she's, she's Syrophoenician, uh, but Matthew wants to call that out on purpose because of, because of the historical context that uh, the Canaanites were a cursed people because of Noah way back there. And the, no, the, the Noah covenant was for all people, but we see that uh, the Canaanites were cursed, and we get to see Jesus kind of enact a reversal, a reversal of that curse here. So anyway, uh, general outline, retelling of the story. We have the woman who says, my life is not right. And she finds out that the Messiah is coming near. And she's like, how could I miss this opportunity, right? Uh, she cries out. She cries out among, amongst the disciples. Amidst, and then what she gets? She gets silence. She gets just dead silence from Jesus. Uh, I imagine her trying to figure out even who, who is the son of David. Maybe she doesn't even know what he looks like. It's not like they have Facebook and he's like, okay, that's what Jesus looks like. Uh, he, she's, she could be just like running up to Peter, son of David, and she's just like bugging all the disciples, trying to figure out how do I get this healing? Like, how do I get what I need? Uh, nothing, nothing's going to stop her. And so one of, these first, one of the first aspects of her faith that is so critical is her perseverance. And so we're just going to look at, you know, four, four pieces of her faith that are, that are critical to what God calls great faith uh, as, as, he, as Jesus, you know, commends the woman. Uh, persevering, interceding, focused on the person of Jesus, and humble. So this woman faces all sorts of barriers in this sequence of events. Her profile, for example, she's, she's a woman, right? And in this culture, women have really no rights at all. Um, and that she would come and talk to a rabbi is um, like totally out of character, totally out of, out of rhythm for that culture. Not only is she a woman, she's not even a Jew. She's a Canaanite slash Syrophoenician. So she doesn't, even, she doesn't even belong to this same tribe. Uh, and she has a demon-possessed daughter, which, you know, in that culture, a lot of times they believe that if you had a curse like that, if you had an issue like that, well, then you're a sinner in some way. You're just hiding it. Um, so she's got all these problems, not to mention now she's, now she's alone, a, a female alone with a group of men. Like, what are, the, what are the pictures here that she's trying to, that people could be looking at her for? So she's just like, Got all these barriers, not to mention, like, where, where is her husband? Where is her family? Why is she going to the, to the rabbi by herself? Um, is nobody else willing to stand in the gap for her? Why is she having to do this all by herself? Um, and then the other barrier, the disciples, they, they urge Jesus to send her away. Uh, they say, this, this woman isn't worth our time. Or I don't know for sure if uh, they said, don't heal her. But maybe because, I mean, they've seen Jesus heal tons of people. They could just be like, Jesus, can you just like, just take care of this? 
and get, get rid of it. Like, we, need, we have our agenda. We need our rest. We need our space. Get rid of this woman. Um, so at, at best, they're thinking about the rest that they need. They're considering their agenda. At the worst, they're misogynistic, power-happy men irritated by this woman being right in front of them. Uh, the ministry right in front of them. Missing the boat completely on what God, is, what God might be doing. Uh, and they, the disciples know the routine, right? They know that Jesus can heal. Jesus, Jesus could do miraculous things. Uh, but they don't actually know who it is that Jesus, that Jesus is. They, man looks at the exterior. God looks at the heart. Uh, and right now, man is looking at this woman, and they're missing totally what God might want to do. They miss, they miss the heartbeat of the kingdom. They miss the heartbeat of what God, who God is. And then she even faces barriers in Jesus' Jesus's own answers. The first time she cries out, Jesus doesn't even answer a word. I mean, have you ever been met with silence like this? Maybe you try to call a friend, and they don't pick up, and they don't pick up again, and they don't pick up again. Like, that sucks, especially maybe when you know that they're going through a hard time, or, uh, I mean, this could also just be in a moment of, of prayer with God, where you're not getting any answers back from um, the Father, it feels like. And then even when the disciples beg Jesus, how does he answer? He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So not only is he silent, then when he finally talks, he's, he, like, he, says, he says that I'm not even here for you. And yet the woman persists. Just like the parable that Jesus would tell later of the persistent neighbor or the persistent widow, the widow who, uh, or the, the neighbor who, you know, needs the bread at night and runs over to the neighbor's house and God says, or Jesus says that, you know, as much as this neighbor maybe doesn't want to give this bread, he's going to give this bread. Uh, and so how much more does your Heavenly Father want to give you good things? And so we see that, again, um, this persistence is, is one of the biggest pieces of her faith. And our hearts, our hearts are so prone to wander, so prone to let our hearts grow cold. Our hearts don't trust the Maker. We don't trust the process. We don't wait, we don't wait upon God like, like maybe this woman did. The second piece of her faith is that she's interceding. You know, she's come all this way, to find this bunch of Jewish men, and she gets embarrassed, ridiculed. She's not talked to, talked about, right? She's hanging on to the clothes of Peter, and she, he's not even addressing her. He's just saying, guys, get Jesus to do something about this. There's no human interaction. Uh, and she gets stonewalled by the rabbi, the son of David, the one whom she's calling upon, isn't even, isn't even giving her what she thinks she would come for. Um, what does she come all this way for? She's come for her daughter. She's not even coming for herself. And yet she proclaims that, uh, have mercy on me. She takes on the plight of her daughter. She unites herself with, with her daughter and what the trouble is that, that she's experiencing. Her daughter's trouble is her trouble. This reminds me of uh, several, years, several, several years ago when the Rohingya people, uh, that there's Rohingya people in Greeley and there's Rohingya people in Bangladesh, Myanmar area. They were getting kicked out of Myanmar by, by the millions. They were just being killed and yeah, it was awful. But the Rohingya here, uh, that were on my, in, my, in my program, they, and my friends, like they couldn't even, they couldn't eat, they couldn't sleep, they weren't doing any homework, they were distraught. And I had never even imagined like the connection that you would have be- with your people, even if they were oceans away. But that their plight was our plight, you know? Um, that their pain was our pain. And we see this, this picture of intercession here that is, that is beautiful, right? Uh, how, e- how easy is it to simply let go of the troubles of others? 
Uh, we don't see people. We just, you know, we go home. We don't necessarily know what's going on in their lives. We don't have the answers. So how, how hard is it to really maintain that intercession, even, even from distance, even in the face of silence? Uh, I, I, struggle, I struggle with intercession in so many ways. But I, I, don't even, I don't even consider my neighbor enough to, like, not eat the last five cookies in the box. Uh, you know, Shauna makes great cookies, and then I'm like, well, they've been sitting there for, like, four days. I'm just going to eat the whole rest of the thing. So, like, my selfishness is just huge, and I, I can't even imagine, um, my, my, my fallenness is a huge barrier to, to my faith. Another piece of her, her, her faith is her humility. She's not hiding anything. When Jesus says, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel, she, doesn't refu- she refuses to budge. She doesn't deny that she's not Israel, an Israelite. She doesn't try to pretend. She doesn't play semantics about whether she could be a member of the family of Israel if you just look at the laws of Leviticus or uh, you, you remember that, you know, you're supposed to welcome the foreigner here, right, Jesus? She just says, yes, Lord, you're right. That doesn't, that doesn't mean it doesn't stop her, right? She, she, she brings her full self, and she says, I'm okay. I'm okay, Lord, if you even recognize that I am a dog, uh, as it says in that passage, right? That her most fundamental line of prayer here is, Lord, help me. In this statement, she expresses her true state before God. She's in need, and she doesn't care. She doesn't care who knows it. She doesn't care uh, what it might say about her, that I'm, that I'm in need, that I'm... That I'm needing someone else's help, that I'm not self-sufficient, uh, that, I, that I have this problem, she's willing to accept the truth, whatever it may be. Yet our fallen condition very often creates a you owe me mentality where we come to God and we say, you, you owe me this. Or even like if, if someone told me that, where you said, like even when I talk to kids at school, I got so many school examples, and you, you, you tell them that, hey, you did this, it was wrong. They'll do anything, anything possible to uh, deny that offense, right? And that's human nature. We don't want to take any blame for our actions. Truth is, like, if you really knew me, and you knew the darkness, you knew the things that I did, like, you'd be appalled. Uh, but God says, if you knew me, if you knew God, you'd have it no other way than to be in relationship with him. So as much as our hearts are dark, our hearts are dark, our hearts are incapable uh, of really being fully vulnerable before God, how much greater is God's willingness to accept and welcome us in, in our current state, right? Uh, and lastly, her faith is focused on the person of Jesus. We see that uh, she calls out on the son of David, and from Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6, it says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will lie in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. This is, as I mentioned earlier, this is the same title that the blind beggars called Jesus in chapter 9. I don't, I don't know for sure where she finds out this information. Surely it's a, it's a multicultural area, right? I mean, the fact that Jesus and the disciples are able to get up there so quickly, it means that there was probably some cross-pollination some talk between the, the Jews and the Phyrosynesians. Um, so maybe, maybe she does know some of the Jewish, the Jewish history. Maybe she does know that they're waiting for this Messiah. But maybe she just knows that some blind beggars called on this dude 
and they said, son of David, and he provided. Either way, we see, we see this truth of who God is, uh, and she, she takes hope in what she knows about him. It doesn't matter how much she knows. It doesn't matter that her, whether her knowledge is an inch deep or if it's oceans deep. Uh, she calls upon what she knows. She calls upon Jesus in how she knows him. And this is, if, if you want to, you don't have to turn here, but uh, just in Matthew chapter 1, we get to see how Matthew introduced the son of David. Uh, and he does so in classic, uh, in classic Hebrew method- methodology with a, with a nice long, uh, what do you call that? Genealogy. <laughs> and uh, it's, not, it's not your classic genealogy. You've got, you've got these people in there. You've got, you've got Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Uriah's wife, the husband of Mary. You've got Mary. You've got these women that are listed who normally would never be listed in a, in a Jewish genealogy, but Matthew takes the time to list them out. And what, what do all these women have in common, right? Uh, they all have stories of taking, taking God by his word and having faith that God will provide and that uh, they, don't, they, don't, they don't care what others think, but they're focused on who God is and they call upon his character. We see, we see Rahab saying, I'm, I'm going to trust that your God is merciful and I'm going to I'm going to not tell all new spies, <laughs> and then God provides, right? And, what is, and then in that process, Rahab becomes the grandfather or the great-grandfather of King David, and she becomes um, a part of this, this lineage, this story of the Messiah who would be to come. Um, and we also see God's mercy in even the way that he talks about the wife of Uriah. He doesn't, only, he doesn't, he doesn't say Bathsheba. He says the wife of Uriah. So he honors, he honors the legacy that Uriah has, even though the one whom Jesus is named after, the son of David, is the one who had Uriah killed, slept with Bathsheba, and does all these, these terrible things, and yet God remembers. God calls out and he says, I see you, Uriah. I see you, Bathsheba. And I love you both. Um, and yet, in my fallen condition, what do I focus on? I'm not focused on God's faithfulness. I'm not, fall, I'm not focused on um, how much he's willing to give, how much he's willing to bestow on me. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just focused on the progress that I'm making. How many interviews am I getting? How many, <clears throat> how many moves am I making to up my life? Uh, and I'm, I'm trusting, I'm putting my faith in what I can see, not in the creator of the universe. So if I'm not seeing product, if I'm not seeing production here, then my God must not be great. But that doesn't exactly correlate with how this story is because because of how the Ar- Ar- Canaanite woman, she comes to Jesus and she doesn't see any production. She doesn't see any, uh, any progress. Jesus, Jesus turns her away twice. And yet, the last piece of, uh, the f- of faith that isn't even up there <laughs> is uh, this faith is cherished by Christ. Jesus proclaims, woman, your faith is great. This is similar to how he proclaims about the Roman centurion's faith in chapter 8. He says, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. The centurion, the centurion took the moment to you know, put all of his trust in God. And God and Jesus is ex- excited to see the faith um, of, of these people, of his children. We know that when 
uh, Jesus is talking about family. He, d- he says, these aren't my brother. That's not my brother. That's not my brother. My mother and my brother and my sisters are those who do the will of God. Uh, so we get to be a part of his family no matter where we come from, no matter what our story is. And in fact, in Second Chronicles, this is one of, it's, it's, it's in a context of like a, of a war situation, but it's this beautiful picture of what God is looking for. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. The eyes of the Lord are on us. Uh, Lord, the Lord is looking for those um, whom he cherishes. We know that his love for his people is strong. He is not quick to anger. He is abounding in mercy and steadfast in love. Uh, the heart of God is, is towards us, and, and he desires deep relationship with us. And, you know, even when, even when we see that this, this faith is tested and tried, the question is, is not whether or not we're going to make it through the trial, uh, but what is the trial revealing in us, and what is it revealing about God? So we see Jesus uh, Jesus is really creating, creating a situation where we get to reflect on what faith looks like. Uh, but this faith wouldn't, wouldn't even be possible if it wasn't for the faith of Christ. Because Jesus is the one uh, who is most, most faithful to the person and the mission of God. Where I, where I fall short in my, per, in my pursuit of Jesus, Jesus is perfectly uh, pursuing God. He answers, he answers the cry, Lord, help me, uh, in, in splendid fashion. And God, and Jesus also humbly submits to the Father's will. We see this in the prayer that he uh, prays in the garden before his, before his crucifixion. He says, not my will, but your will be done. Uh, even, as, even as Jesus, you know, humbly proclaims his, his desire for a different way, he's willing and able uh, to say yes to God. And we see that Jesus is interceding for us today. Uh, even as he rose from the dead, he today sits, sits in heaven and is interceding daily for us. We get to see how he prays on our behalf. Uh, and he prays on Peter's behalf even while he's on earth. He, uh, <clears throat> he asked that Jesus, he asked that the enemy wouldn't sift him um, too much, but that his faith would remain strong. And then we also see Jesus' faith as a persevering faith, a, a faith that perseveres to the end. Even as he wrestles with this faithless generation, he deals with Peter's and others' misunderstandings of the kingdom. He continues to be faithful to the call that's on his life. He's, he's faithful even until the moment where he cries, it is finished. He persevered. You know, his perfect faith makes way for our imperfect rendition of what faith is. And just a note for those of us who, you know, we constantly wrestle with like, well, what is, what is doubt? How does doubt play into all of this? Uh, we see that how could doubt even exist if it wasn't for faith? Uh, if there is no faith, then there is no doubt. But doubt is just, a, is just a faithful companion to faith. So if we didn't have trust in God, if we didn't have faith, then there wouldn't be any reason to, to doubt him in the first place. And so don't be, we don't want to be afraid of the doubt. We don't want to be afraid of when things don't feel like they're not going the way they should. Because in the end, God, Jesus provides for the woman. Uh, and he makes, he makes all things right in this, in, this, in this picture. And he makes all things right all, eternally and perfectly through his faithful obedience, uh, even through death. And I just want to, you know, 
this is, this is a picture, really, of what it looks like to be prayerful, what it looks like to have faith in our prayer. And as I've been, one thing that I tell my kids, well, yeah, I've, I found a better rendition of how I say it. So G.K. Chesterton says, anything worth doing is worth doing badly. All right, I know that's weird, but like, think about it. So I know many of us feel fear about uh, praying or about, you know, going and sharing the gospel or living out our call in our, in our lives. But if it's not worth doing badly, then is it worth doing at all? Uh, because the, the best, you know, the best had to have started somewhere. But it's not even about being the best. It's about faithfully doing it, no matter what, what the effect is, no matter what the uh, evidence might present itself as, because God isn't looking for result. He's not looking for perfection. As we mentioned earlier, his eyes are looking for those who are willing to be faithful, those who trust him, those who put everything aside and say, God, you are, this is who you are. I trust that you are who you are. Show me who you are. So I, I, you know, I pray that our cry would be that, that we would every day wake up not caring what the results of the day are, but caring about the process, caring about being faithful in our prayer life, being, being faithful in our relationship with God because of who God is, because he's proven himself to be faithful time and time again, ultimately in the life of Christ. And then, yeah, I mean, C.S. Lewis says, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. Prayer does not change God, it changes me. This process is not about it's not about us coming up with some grand result, but about what will come out of, what will, what will happen in us, what will happen in our heart as we sit with the maker of heaven and earth, the one who knows us better than we know ourselves, the one who has submitted unto the will of God and says that he desires his kingdom to come and that he is going to make all things new, even as we get taste of it here, but we'll get the, we'll get the full picture uh, as, as we enter the kingdom. So there's a parable. I'll just end with this parable. Uh, the parable of the wedding banquet where everyone's, in, everyone's invited and yet um, we, see, we see this one man enter, enter into the feast and he doesn't have the right clothes on. And when he enters that feast, um, the, king, the king has him thrown out. And the question is, what, what is the attire that he's missing? What is he not wearing? Well, we see clearly that uh, the attire of the Pharisees doesn't cut it. The attire of the disciples who try their best to make, to make their lives something that they think is the kingdom of God doesn't cut it. Um, but that a life of dependency and faith, a life of putting on the righteousness of God, putting on the faith, even the faith of Christ, that, that is the life and that is the garments that we need to put on daily. That is the life of the kingdom. Uh, the upside down perspective that it's not our works that make us, but it's God's work that makes us who we are. So let's remember our cherished state in Christ, that he cherishes us above uh, more than what we can fathom, as he always makes intercession on our behalf. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you cherish us and that you've done so much on our behalf. Our hearts are, uh, yeah, just open to receive that which you want to, t to teach us, what you want to show us. We thank you for the work that you have done in our lives and that you're continuing to do to transform us. 
And there's nothing we can do that will make you love us more. And there's nothing that we can do to make you love us less. That your love is perfect and it casts out all fears. So we cast ourselves upon you, uh, the anchor of our souls, the perfecter of our grace even. Pray this in your name.